Okay, let's get into this. Proverbs. We started this last week. So if you can find Proverbs chapter 1, that would be absolutely excellent. And we'll dive into that in a minute. But before we get into that, um, let me tell you about something personal. On Friday, two days ago, uh, was mine and Melanie's anniversary. We've been married, that's right, 16 years. Thank you. It was, yeah, but so we had. We got married 16 years, and there should be a picture up there of one of us on our wedding day. I felt that was the better one than the one with the both of us in. But that was... Uh, she scrubs up nice, doesn't she? So that's um, married on a wedding day. Now, being married and celebrating 16 marriages kind of causes you to look back a little bit, reflect on what's happened over the years. And I found myself thinking about kind of what led up to our wedding, almost like how did we even get there, let alone 16 years later here now um, with you. And I reflected on my, our wedding and kind of when we got to know each other and um, our story's a little bit kind of different, I guess, from every, others in terms of when, we, when I asked kind of Melanie to start, we were start dating, whatever they called it back then. Um, we were actually only going out for about six weeks before I asked her to marry me um, because I felt this was the right thing. And then we were only engaged six months before we got married. So it was a little bit quick in that sense, but it was a good decision. But as I went through that process and I thought, shall I ask this girl to marry? I think it's the right thing. I think she's nice. You know, you know where that goes. You know, I think she's kind of kind of cute and she's a Christian and I think this might work but as part of my process I thought well I need to kind of not just make the decision all myself even though it's my decision I need to kind of maybe get a bit of counsel a bit of outside a bit of wisdom so I asked a bunch of people what they thought said and I the first guy I asked was a guy called Andy he was in the church I was a part of he was a little bit older than I was he was married uh, been married a number of years um, I think his wife was pregnant with their first child. And so he was someone I've been spending a lot of time with. I've been taking a year out that year working kind of voluntary for the church. And he'd been involved with me a lot. And I said, Andy, look, this is what's happened. You've actually met Melanie. You kind of know a bit about me. You know a bit about her. I think it's the right thing to get married. What do you think? And he gave me his advice. that this is what I think, Stuart. And I kind of listened to that. And I thought, oh, okay, that's right. But I thought, okay, I need to ask, you know, that's one thing, right? That's, uh, that's good. And he was very positive and warm. I said, well, I'm going to ask some other people as well. So I went to to my brother, Owen, who's actually interesting, younger than me, but he'd literally just got married. He'd been married about uh, eight, nine months by then or something like that. So I thought, you've literally just been through this yourself. I mean, it's very recent. So I, I, went, I phoned up and said, look, this is what's happened to me. Talk me through how you did it, how you married his wife, Anne. They're still married now. And I just said, talk me through your process. And so he talked me through there and he went down and thought, okay, that's lots of useful advice. And then finally I phoned my dad and said, dad, look, Melanie, you've met her once. You know, hope you liked her because I'm really thinking about her kind of, you know, asking her to marry me. Uh, and he had good advice. And basically I took as much kind of counsel as I could and then weighed it out. And then obviously I had to make a decision for myself. And you know the decision. It's history. We got married and 16 years later we're here now. Um, but the point there was actually it was a big decision. It's a life-changing decision when you decide, to, am I going to ask this person to marry me? You don't even know if they're going to say yes for a start. But you think even just the, the fact of asking is huge. So I got advice. I got counsel. Is this right? What do you think? And they asked me a whole bunch of questions that I had to process and think about. And I had to pray. And I think about what the Bible said. And then I worked out. And eventually I thought, this is the right thing. I'm going to do it. And what we're going to be looking at today, this whole idea of of actually taking godly counsel on board as we go through the book of Proverbs. We started it le- last week, and we said we were going to focus on the first nine chapters. 
because the first nine chapters are like an extended introduction to the book of Proverbs, so we'll be going through them, and then you've got the back end of the book of Proverbs, chapters 10 to about 29, which are more Proverbs from Solomon, and then the last two chapters are are Proverbs of other wise men that they kind of stick in there, and uh, we're going to be processing this together, all about how we gain godly, godly wisdom, and last week we started it, and we looked at the first seven verses, we looked at the author, Solomon, Outside Jesus, the wisest man who ever lived. He asked, God said, you can have anything. He asked for wisdom. And God gave him this wisdom. And he was incredible. And the Bible says he wrote so many proverbs and songs and all sorts of things. And he was, people came from all over the world to hear him because he was so smart. And then he wrote this down for us so that we could learn godly wisdom too. And then we saw the purpose of the book, those first few verses there about how we're to learn instruction and grow in wisdom. And it's something we have to be active in. And we can't just sit back passively, we have to be active, we have to be involved. And then we got to verse 7, which is the most important verse in the entire book of Proverbs, where it talks about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, beginning of knowledge. Actually, it all starts with having a reverent appreciation of who God, we, God is and humility before him. That's where it all starts. That's the foundation. That's what everything else is built on. Otherwise, all you've got is just self-help, which, you know, if you go to Amazon, you'll find hundreds of thousands of books in the self-help section. Um, but this is something deeper. It's all about living life in kind of in uh, reality, in sort of in light of God and who is and who we are. So let's look at the next section. We're just going to look at the next few verses in Proverbs today. If you found it, I'm going to read from verse eight. So it says, "Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendant for your neck." My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods, we shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us, we will have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Okay, big idea today. Big idea is following godly counsel will bring blessing while ignoring it will bring destruction. Following godly counsel will bring blessing while ignoring it will bring destruction. And today's passage contains a very firm warning to us. And the picture of it is parents talking to a child and warning them about what is to head, what is going to come. So the first bit, a parent's plea. If you look at the first couple of verses there, there is parents pleading to their children. It's the voice kind of of the father who does most of the speaking. And he's outlying, outlying the plea to his son and then he's kind of explaining why. And he's basically saying, son, please make the right choice. Please make the right choice. Please hear good, wise and godly counsel. And he references himself and he references the mother as well, his wife. He's saying, actually, mom and dad teach you things. And we're both responsible for teaching you things, and we teach you good and right stuff that you can learn and grow from. And we see here in the kind of the book of Proverbs this kind of godly hierarchy where there's God at the top with his wisdom that gives to parents who then pass it on to their children. 
And we have kind of Solomon here representing his godly wisdom that's been written down to us, that passed on to us, that we can then pass on to other. The father and son interestingly are named, so this has kind of got universal appeal. It's, it's not just for a particular dad and a particular child. It's actually for all of us. We can all learn from this. And so it's applicable to everybody here. And the role of the parent in this one is to teach and instruct their children. This is a father's instruction, your mother's teaching there. They're there to pass it on. And if they do that, and if the son kind of takes heed of it, it says, here, here, take on board, listen, understand, get hold of this, follow this, do this. It says there's a result that will come to the child. And it describes a, uh, a garland uh, for your head and a pendant for your neck, a kind of a wreath that you might wear, and a chain around your neck. And when you think about the chain around, think something like Olympic gold medal, that kind of thing, and this wreath they would wear. And these are symbols. These are symbols of victory. They're the symbols of prestige. They're the symbols of honor. They're designed to be impressive. They're designed to be noticed. They're designed to be taken into account. There's something beautiful. They're adornments to a person. That If you're wearing these things, people notice them about you. And they think that looks good on you. If I came in, you know, having won an Olympic gold medal, boy, I'd be wearing it. And you'd be like, man, he's pretty good because he must have trained and he worked and he's achieved something in his life that is oppressive. And they're saying, if, son, if you follow my teachings, it'll be like that. There'll be something about you that will be noticeable. And it's also, it's not something in the future. It's something you can have even now. It's something that you've got right now. If you obey the teaching now, you, you, you can reap the benefits right now, regardless of your age. And we had an interesting incident. I've got to talk about my son because it's kind of relevant to this. And it might make me look like, and men and I look super parents, but Levi's probably punching someone out there right now. So just, just take that with it, okay? I'm just telling you this story that, you know, you have good days and you have bad days. But we had um, a, couple of, uh, a couple of weekends back. It was also my birthday. It was near, it was near our anniversary. And we went away for the evening and had a day out. And my parents came down and had, had our boys. And so we had a day out. And it was really nice. and We enjoyed it. But during the day, um, Levi had one of his buddies, they had a party, and it was a football party. And so we couldn't take him, so my daddy was down, grandpa, he took Levi to the football party um, during the afternoon when we were out. And then when we came back, we did the whole, did you have a good day, what have you been done? And Levi said, you know, did you have fun at the party, his little mate's party? Yeah, yeah, we had great fun, what did you do? We had all that, and then kind of we went in the bed routine, and my mum and dad went, and we just, we got on with life. Then Mel got a text from his mate's mummy. And basically, she texts, basically said, I just want to tell you how wonderfully behaved Levi was. Now, as a parent, you're like, score. <laughs> oh, really? Tell me more. <laughs> tell me more. And she just, she just, she just very kind and gracious about how he had behaved during the day and with the other people there. And we weren't even there to kind of be like, you will say thank you. You will behave. And, you know, we, didn't, we weren't even there to do that. He was just doing it. And then she sent another text message that evening and then on the, the following day on the playground, or when the, she came and spoke to me and said, actually, I just want to let you know. And you just, when you do these things and you train children, they, people notice. And it, there was something about what he had done that was an impressiveness, actually, because he had obeyed something we'd said about how you act. And sometimes you think, are they even flipping listening because you're not acting like it? You know, and then, then they go and do something over there and you're like, man, that's really impressive. But that's what the point they're making here. Actually, following that teaching, there is something about it that others will notice. 
But the parents say, they say we follow our instructions because there's something you can gain from it. But then the dad is smart, the dad is savvy, and he says to him, he says, actually, there's going to be people out in the world who are going to try and tempt you away. This might be our family thing, this might be what we teach and train here, but outside there's going to be invitations to do evil. And right in there, the sign says, sinners will entice you, don't consent. He said that there are people who are going to come and say, come and live this way, come and do this way. And, he, and it kind of says, let us, there. He says, let, let us, the voice says in verse 11. It's like the, the peers, the peers will say, come and let's try and get involved and do something. And what are they offering? They're offering him a kind of a route to excitement, riches and acceptance, a kind of get rich thing. Come and get involved with us. They say, come and get involved with us and we'll give you the route to a kind of wealth and we'll do it quick, and we'll do it now, and they, they show no regard for right or wrong, no regard for the law, no regard for anything, but they come and get involved with us. And in verses 11 and 14, you see their proposition and their arguments, and if you read it through, you see what they're about. They have a target. What are they after? Well, they're after the innocent, it says, the weak, the unsuspecting. They're, 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 they're going after the people who, who won't see it coming, who've done kind of nothing wrong. Let's go and get them. Let's go and get them. And it describes, even at one point it says them. There's the indication there is of a repeated pattern. It's not a one-off event. It's a repeated lifestyle that these people live. Let's go and attack the innocent. What's their mission? We use the word blood. It uses the word ambush. If you're going to ambush someone, you catch them totally unaware. They don't know it's coming. You're hiding. You're using subterfuge, camouflage. You're not, you don't know this is coming, but I'm coming to get you. It's going to hit you from the blind side. Then even the word blood in there. They're after, they want to kill and destroy. That's what they're after. We're going to ambush people, innocent, the weak, and we are going to destroy them. And what's their motivation? It says at the end, it talks about plunder. It talks about sharing a purse. There's a greed and a desire for material gain, for something that builds them up, makes them look impressive, makes them look better. So you've got a kind of, the picture here is like a gang of people And they're saying to the son, you come join us and we're going to go and pick on someone who can't defend themselves, who doesn't even know this is coming. We'll outnumber them, we'll take them down, we'll damage them, we'll destroy them, and we'll take something that's theirs. And we'll use it to make ourselves look better, look bigger, more impressive, make us richer. Yet their own words, you know, they they condemn themselves their own words because they describe them as innocent, the victims that is. And so this is something that can only be described as evil actions. It's got no justification for what they're doing. So what, is this, what could this look like? What could this look like? Because it's quite graphic imagery. It has many applications for us. It could be something, cast your mind back for some of you, it could be simple as uh, bullies at school. Picking on the weak kid in the class, picking on the, the one that kind of looks different, dresses different, speaks different, acts different. Let's pick on him. Pick on her. She's, she's the outsider. We'll take her down. We will uh, abuse her. We'll say nasty things about her. We'll write notes about her. We'll do something that will crush her, crush him, and in turn make us look better. And we will look kind of more impressive by attacking and destroying them. What about gossip? Gossip, who, people who destroy reputations with their word, tell half-truths, tell lies, speculate, exaggerate, add to, love to chew people down, love to take them down, like to, to knock them down, to destroy them, to build themselves up. What about shady and dishonest business practice? Practices that take money from customers, clients, or even their own employees by you know, helping themselves to supplies in the office, taking them down by knocking off early when they should be working, by pretending to be sick, 
by kind of lying to clients to get, get deals done, you know, exaggerating kind of in sales and what things can do, all this stuff to make yourself better, make money, sort of put someone else down, kind of pull the wall over their eyes. What about malicious actions in the workplace that cause, cause you to, to big yourself up at the expense of others, to climb the career ladder by talking someone down, by lying about someone, by taking someone you know, apart so they don't progress and you progress in their place. All these kind of things. It's that kind of attitudes that we have. And into that, the Father speaks. Verse 15, it comes back to the Father. He's saying, he gives them a warning, a very clear warning. He basically holds up a mirror to the actions of these people. Say, look at, look at what it's really happening, what they're saying. Because on the surface, it can look impressive. Everyone else is doing it. It won't matter. You won't get caught. We're all in it together. And you could think there's an attractiveness to that. And the father says, look at it. Look at it. What really happening? And he describes, he describes their direction in their life. He uses the word foot and feet and walk. He's saying this is a way of life for these people. Not a one-off action. It's something they do. And if you follow this way of life, it will end in pain and suffering and hurt and ultimately death. And he uses this image of a trap being set. He says not only is it evil... Not only is it wrong, it's just stupid. It is just stupid. They are, so these people are blind to their own consequences of what they're doing. They don't see where it's going. And he uses imagery of a trap. And he talks about a net being set for a bird. And he says, well, if you set a net out for a bird, just put a net out. He says, the bird's not stupid. He'll see it and he'll fly away. It's vain to do that. He says, they, 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 it's like they're, they're setting this trap out and you think, actually, no, it's not going to work. Then he turns this image around and he says, he says, actually, they are setting a trap, but who are they setting a trap for? Themselves. They're the ones who are going to get caught in the trap. And he uses the word ambush and blood again in verse 16. Where have we seen that? We've seen that earlier in the passage. I think it's verse 11. And basically saying there is a trap going to be set and while you think you're laying out ambush for someone else to pick on the weak, guess what? It's coming for you. It's coming for you. There are long-term consequences for your action. They set an ambush for their own lives. They seek to say, we'll spill someone else's blood. We're going after them. We're going to destroy them. So, but actually, the long-term action of what you're doing is ultimately your own destruction. And verse 19, the bit at the end there, is basically the moral of the story. If you ever read Aesop's fables... They also have a moral in their story, and he's setting out the moral. He says, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. He's basically saying these guys are setting themselves on a path, and it may look good, it may go well for a while, but all the while, the jaws of the trap are being opened and opened. And they're continuing this down this line of attacking the weak and attacking the innocent and trying to get everything from the self and putting people down and destroying. And ultimately, one day, those trap is going to shut. And it's going to be on them. They're the one who's going to reap the reward. They're the one who's going to end, enter destruction. They're the ones who's going to be destroyed. And he's imploring his son. He's saying, son, make the right choice. Make the good and godly choice. Think back to what mum and dad used to teach you. And as you go out into the world and you're living life, you're making a really wise decision about what's happening to you. So a little bit of application for us. And then um, I'll finish. How do we avoid situations in this passage? How do we kind of process this for us? Well, the first thing I want us to think about is that we are to receive and pass on wisdom. 
We're both to receive and pass on wisdom. Because the dad in the story, the dad and the mom are talking to the son and trying to pass on something to him, trying to get them to understand, trying to, to take them on. And ultimately, who is the father in the story really? Well, who's our father? It's God. Behind it all is the voice of God. He's the one who's calling out to us day by day, week by week, saying, make good choices. Make wise and godly choices. And the reality is, are we willing to accept that? Are we willing to take that on board? You can read things like this. I know kind of first time I read it as a father with a son, two sons. I can immediately think, well, I'm the one dispensing wisdom. Well, of course I am. I've got, why not? I am so wise. I have gray hair to prove it. You know, I have reached that mature stage of life. Now I'm 30, 11. You know, I'm getting there. I know, I know stuff and I can shed my pearls of wisdom on my children and anyone else who wants to listen and they will be wiser for it. But actually the reality is it starts with us receiving wisdom. We have to be the child who's listening to our Father in heaven. And the question we need to ask ourselves is are we always willing to learn and grow? Are we, do we take the attitude actually we don't know everything? We don't know how to act in every situation. Sure we may have seen stuff. Sure we may have learnt stuff along the way. But actually, are we still willing to learn? Are we still willing to take counsel and advice? Are we still willing to seek counsel and advice? Have you got decisions coming up? Kind of decisions, relational decisions, work decisions, financial decisions. Are, are we still willing to take advice and counsel? Proverbs elsewhere says, says this. It says in Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 15.22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Are we willing to learn from every opportunity we come? Are we willing to just be open to it? We recently had um, a situation, it's still ongoing somewhat, with our car, which um, basically gave up the ghost through a, a long and traumatic day with the AA, um, um, and it finally it died. But as we were kind of processing that, Lord, what do we do with our car? Do we pay out the money? Do we write it off? What, what happens? As we were going through that process, I was on the phone. I phoned my dad, first of all. He knows a bit about cars, and he's kind of wise, and he's been around the block a few times. So I said, Dad, this is the situation. What do you think? Kind of give, me, you know, give me something that we can talk about. So he did that, and then I also phoned, I think it was Philip I phoned. I said, what, what do you think? You know, he's been around the block. Tell me, not as many times as my dad, but, you know, <laughs> just want just to just be clear about it. I just, I just got to be clear. I, just, I can't get out of that, can I? Yeah. Because it's back up. Anyway, he did some stuff too. So I, I, I took that environment and I talked about it. And we prayed about this. What should we do? What should we do? But it was counselors. It was a big decision for us. What are we going to do? Because financially, it will have implications. And ultimately, we decided to scrap the car and win the process of kind of working that forward. But it was actually, I, I wasn't sure what to do. I didn't know what to do. So I thought, I'll go and find counsel. So I'll go and ask others what they think. So we're to receive it. But as well as that, we're also to pass it on. Something's humming. Is that me? Okay, maybe it was. Anyway, okay, we're also to pass it on. So we receive it, which is good. We're also to pass it on. This, this highlights particularly our role with children, to pass it on. And there are many of you here with children, and you may not have children, or your children may have grown up and left, but there's, there's the wider thing, grandparents, aunties, uncles, the church community that has children in it, that we're, we're to pass on and teach and train our children in the ways of God. Teach them about prayer. Teach them what it means to follow and obey God. 
Teach them about the Word of God, the Bible, and on what that means. Teach them that we're not just telling them yes and no to things, but actually why? Why, do we, why are we saying yes to this and no to that? We're there to teach it. We have, as a church, we have, you may have noticed, many children amongst us, part of real-life kids. We believe kids here are a gift, a blessing, and a priority. And currently, between kids and youth, we average about 45 a week come amongst us. Sometimes that can clock up near 60, depending on kind of the flow of, um, is of the rhythms of life. So we have possibly that many in the room every week. And if you took our full register of all the ones who come regularly, semi-regularly, it would be way bigger. So we have a huge responsibility as a church to teach and train the young among us. We currently have six teams of kids' workers don't know if you realize, and plus one of youth workers, seven teams serving our young. The six teams of kids, we've got three in the preschool age, three in the school age, and then one cover our youth, um, our teenage work. We currently have about 30 adults serving those young people Sunday and other nights during the week. Melanie oversees them. It's actually our single largest area of serving in the church, if you think numerically, the young, the number of bodies involved making it all happen. Every week we're investing them. Every week we're kind of giving time to them, money, resources, everything, because we want them to grow and learn in godly ways. We just started the Kids Alpha today, that was just mentioned earlier, which is dead exciting. So we're running the Alpha course for kids, giving them the opportunity to know Jesus for themselves, to make that decision for themselves. And we, we do that because we believe that's important to teach and train the young. We're not here just to provide babysitting. It may feel like that when they go out and you're like, oh, thank you, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Ah, you know, it may feel like that, but that's actually not our ultimate. Our ultimate. We want to teach them, train them, know about Jesus, and we want to pass that on. And we have a responsibility to church here. We have a responsibility if you're a parent, grandparent, we have that responsibility to do as well. So we want to be very proactive on passing on what we learn, teaching them about the ways of God. The second thing, and that's for us, we need to be able to make the wise choice. Some things are kind of obvious. The Bible's quite clear about sinful things. You know, don't steal, don't commit adultery. You know, there's some obvious ones. But there's a whole bunch of other decisions in life that we have to make. Daily decisions, we decisions, and some are bigger than others, but we need to be able to, how do we handle this stuff? How do we make wise choices? How do we do that? How do we make decisions that line up with God? Well, here's a few things, hopefully, to help us um, in that process as we move forward. The first one is, we need the Holy Spirit. The Bible says we've been born again. If you're a Christian here, you've been born again, John chapter 3, by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. We've been made alive in Christ. We were once dead, we're now alive. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. We are are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. It says in Ephesians 5 that then we're then to be filled daily. There's this ongoing process of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's it's a relationship we have with God. That's what we're to do. We're to have that relationship with God. And it's not something that you do just on Sundays. It's a daily, ongoing, lifelong process that we're meant to invest in and do that. So for a start, we're meant to be spirit-filled believers. That's what the Bible says. But it also adds things like in um, John chapter 10, where Jesus says to his um, followers, says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So we've got to exercise some faith. Jesus is the good shepherd. We are his sheep. He calls us by name and he speaks to us. So we actually, okay, right, we're going we're gonna to believe that. We're going to take that on faith that not only we've been born again by the Spirit, actually God is there and he's leading us forward. 
So we listen to his voice. It says in James 1, 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be, and it will be given him. It's another act of faith. We pray for wisdom. God give us wisdom. And then we act on faith and say, actually, God, you have provided. Because you've called us by name. We know your voice. You will give us wisdom. And we move forward. So we have the Holy Spirit with us. The second thing we have, our number one tool that we grab hold of is the... The Bible. Pick up your Bible if you have a Bible. Or your smartphone if you're one of those people. It's on here as well. In all its translations. Okay, I'm just old school. We have the Bible. It's, it's the number one tool. It's the book that we are to follow. And you might kind of be the whole, I'm not a book person. Tough. God made a book. We are book people. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what we think. We're a book people. And so we need to be people of the book reading it. And yes, digital is okay just not as good. It's okay. <laughs> just okay. It's okay. You can read that as well. Or listen to it. That's fine. But actually, we're to be people who are reading it and studying it. And, and it's part of our lives. It's not something, an optional extra. We think, well, on Sunday, I'll take that really heavy book with me to church because that's, you know, it just looks the part. It's something that we're in. It's a manual for life that we are to be reading and studying. And the moment we're in Proverbs, we encourage you last week, I gave you a piece of card. It said, write 1 to 31. Because there's 31 chaps in Proverbs, maybe read one a day, tick it off as you go, just to be getting into reading and understanding. If you haven't started that, it's not too late, start now. Do that, be getting into it. If you're reading something else, I don't ma- it doesn't matter. But we're going to be people who read and study because the Bible speaks to so many th- situations, so many areas. Even if it doesn't directly speak to a situation, it will give us principles to apply in a situation. Things we can use towards it because it doesn't address absolutely everything. But it, gives, it contains what we need for life and godliness. So we're to read our word, we're to study our word, we're to take it on board. The next thing is we have the Holy Spirit, God with us. We have his word, the Bible, which is living and active, so we can uh, interact with that. The last thing is wise counsel, wise counselors, I probably should say. People around us who can shed light on situation, put advice into situations. Like I said, with me, with my, when we're, I was looking to get married, I went and asked some wise counsellors, our car, current car situation, other things. There have been plenty of times in my life when we've asked others' situation. When we were looking to come and move here to start the church, that was huge, seismic change in our life. Probably the biggest thing we've kind of done since we got married. Do we move where there's nothing? Look to start a church. We've got loads of counsellors, so as much counsel as I could about that. How do you know if a counsellor is a wise counsellor? Well, they should be doing the first two things, full of the Holy Spirit and reading and studying their Bible. That's a good way of checking. If they're not doing that, I would submit to you as a believer, wanting godly counsel, they're probably not the best people to ask. Ask people who've, who are doing the first two things, then ask people also who know the subject that you're talking about. Um, we had a classic time in... Um, our um, old church when Melanie was a youth leader um, and I was by default being married to a de facto youth leader um, which was the joy of my life um, so I would get involved with all this stuff and we had, we had a group of young guys in the church who were awesome they were really great guys um, and of course and they liked girls because that's what guys do and they wanted to get involved with girls and no girls and uh, we, we had came at one point where one of them was not having much luck with girls and doing to some catastrophically stupid things he does and we eventually got around and said what the heck's going on why are you doing these things with girls and speaking like that and he said well I've been talking to my mates and this is what they suggested we were like tell us who your mates are and they t- he told us and they said so these other single guys who've had no luck with girls you're getting advice from them <laughs> And then he kind of looked at us blankly like, 
yeah. And then realize, realize this kind of horror of like, oh man, they probably want the best counselors for that topic, that particular topic. Um, and so actually when you're, when you're looking, get God and wise counselors, God, wise and godly counselors who actually know their subject. And here's a, here's a question to stir us all. Do you have people in your life like this? Do you have people that you can go and ask? Do you have the relationship with them? Are there people you know that you could pick up the phone and call them because they might not be local, they might be somewhere else or somewhere in the church? You think, actually, if a situation came up in this, in my marriage, who would I go and talk to? If the situation came up kind of financially uh, or job uh, situation, okay, maybe kind of a relational situation, a breakdown or something that's happening, maybe a conflict. Do I have people I could actually just go and talk to and say, look, this is a situation, help me out. What do you think? Because I submit to you, if you don't have those people, find them. Pray for them. God's got to bring them into your life. If you know people, go and ask them. Say, can you be? If I had a, if I had a question about this, w- would you mind if I came to you and talked about it? Most people would say, yeah, that would be great. I'd love to help with what you can do. The, other, the flip side of that question, which is equally challenging, is this. Are you one of those people? Are you one of those? Are you living a life in such a way that someone else would look at you and think, do you know what? I'll go and ask them. Because we all need to be that, don't we? We all need to live a life, growing life, that actually, if someone was going to seek advice, they might come to us. It's no good if we're living a life that's so kind of like devoid of God, even though we call ourselves Christian, we don't read a Bible, we don't, we're just not. Why would they come and ask our advice? So we have a challenge for us. Are we going to be people who could be godly counselors to others because by the way we live our life, the wise decisions we make, what we're doing. So we need, you need people in your life you can ask, but also you need to be seek to be, by God's grace, one of those people others may come to and say, actually, you've been through this. Why don't I just ask your opinion on these things? We've had a few things going on in church I just want to highlight that's, um, of people making good decisions. We recently finished the Freedom in Christ course as a church, and we did um, the part of that was the Steps to Freedom which was fantastic. And I think people who kind of actively got into them made some really wise choices because they sought to learn, to grow, to understand their identity in Christ. When we did the Steps to Freedom, one of the biggest things that it deals with in that process is the whole area of unforgiveness and bitterness. And we took about 50-plus people in the church, went through it, guys and girls, and they processed unforgiveness and bitterness. And hearing the stories from people who have actually, do you know what, I've been through this process and I realize I need to forgive some stuff, I've let down some stuff, and now I have such freedom because I've put that down and it's no longer hooking me and holding me back. That's godly choices right there. To free themselves up, to walk free in Christ and to, to be free of those things. It's fantastic. And we'll be running, looking to run another one with Mike and Sarah. They're taking that on from us, uh, running that. So if you want to get involved, look out for that. We'll do that if you haven't been through that process. But that's another one. We've also run um, a couple of informal marriage courses. Where people say, I want to invest time in my marriage. That's a good thing. I just want to invest in it for the future. So I think we just finished one. Another one's just started of people who are saying, some couples getting together saying, we'll watch the DVDs, we'll talk to each other, we'll process that, and we'll put some building blocks into our life that helps our marriage go the distance, deal with conflict issues, deal with things that are coming up. They're fantastic times. So there's lots for us to think about there. So let's just come back kind of to the end. I want to bring it back to Jesus because it's always about Jesus. Jesus, when Jesus came to earth, he walked the earth. And then you get to Luke chapter 4. 
And what happened? It said he, he, was, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Brilliant. It said read from the prophet of uh, the scroll. Um, he's got Isaiah in there. But he was hinting that he was driven out into the wilderness where who came? Satan. To try and tempt him. Tempting. So when we face these things, temptation, sin is enticing us, go this way, do this, we have one who's already been there. We want one who is not immune to that. We have a high priest who understands what we've been through. So there's nothing you can be feeling like you're going through right now thinking, do you know what, I'm facing temptation. I've got, there's people who are I'm under pressure, peer pressure from relational, work, family, whatever, to act in a certain way. We've got someone who's already been there, someone who's already dealt with it, who's walked the way. He made good and wise choices again and again and again, and we can find strength and encouragement of that. God, even by his grace, said, you know, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. He said, but God in his grace has always provided what? A way out. So we even have that that we can rely on when we face these kind of things. We're making good choices. And one thing I kind of wanted to end with is that when Christ walked the earth, and he dealt with all the things he dealt with, and there, were, there was opposition, and there was good times with healings and teaching, and then people, followers leaving because the decisions, you know, the talking he was making was hard. What did Jesus do? He kept his eyes on the prize. He kept his eyes on the prize. He knew what the end was. And what was the end? The end was the cross in all its horror. It was his death at the hands of the Romans and, and the, the religious leaders who should have accepted him. But then beyond that, he knew what it was. What was that? The resurrection, the ascension, the glorification, one day having a people for himself to be with him forever, forever. And as we do this, as we go through kind of making wise choices that kind of might be right here, right now, and then you make them and then your kind of life moves on, they suddenly didn't so big because they're in the past. Actually, I want us to be a people who keep our eyes on the prize, which is Jesus. Jesus has a, an end for us where we will be with him forever and it's something we should always get focused on keep our eyes on that look to that so actually when we look at the, the temptations of life the decisions we've got to make they're always in the context of actually there's a future for us a hope for us something beyond us something that's so much better than this life someone's worth so much more anything that was written in that passage that you could gain the plunder the purse the 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 the, the, the goods they could get in is nothing compared to what you have in Christ in your future and when you keep those in mind you suddenly realize how empty and short-lived it is and how long you know how bad decisions don't take us anywhere so do you want to stand up i'm just going to pray to finish can the band come back up and we're going to put our eyes on Jesus and see what anything he wants to do and I'm just going to pray maybe just want to close your eyes open your hands I mean there was, I mean, there was a lot of things there that I'd just like to pray into Lord God I want to thank you that you are our heavenly father and you speak to us thank you that you are the voice calling out saying, make good decisions, make wise decisions, listen to my teaching, because ultimately they result in good things for us. You know poor decisions, sinful decisions, ultimately end in destruction. And Lord, I thank you that you are the God who, who graciously calls out to us again and again, no matter how many times we muck it up, you're still calling, saying, come to me, come to me, come to me. And I pray for us here, God, I pray you would fill us with your spirit, that we would be that spirit-filled people who would know your grace, who would know your love, 
who would know your wisdom. Lord, I pray for those who are making decisions now that you would give them that wisdom that you said you would in James, that you would pour out your wisdom on your people. Lord, I particularly want to pray for those who have care for the young, whether they're parents, grandparents, aunties, uncles, whether there are kids and youth team in the room here. Lord, I pray you'd give them a special grace to serve the young, teach and train them in a godly way, Lord Jesus. I pray for that, Lord. I pray you'd give us strength as we go out of this place, Lord, to live a life that honours you, that in the face of temptation we would say no, remembering what you have in store for us, remembering the prize that's ahead of us, Lord God, remembering the good things you've called us to and remembering ultimately the, the rewards of living an ungodly way ultimately will end in destruction, Lord Jesus. And we don't want that. We don't want that for anyone, Lord. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to come fill us now as we worship. Come meet with us, your people. We want to say we love you, we praise you. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.